Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism, Actual Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. Today, I I know you expect me to say today is a beautiful day or an awesome day, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say today is a free-for-all day. Today we're gonna have three moms on at one time. We're actually gonna have them, you know, one at a time and then all at one time, so hopefully we can pull this off and it doesn't turn into a sound nightmare. But stay with us because I think the message and the stories that they're about to share are really worth listening to. So often in our world of autism, you have kids out there that are ignored because of the presentation of their functioning. And so they may present as functioning very low and actually be quite brilliant inside, but nobody knows what to do with that. And people are, you know, so they, they talk to the lowest common denominator, which is the presentation. And I think it's really important for us to, you know, raise the bar, raise the bar, raise the bar, because people live up to just under the bar. So this group of women is going to share some stories with you that help you to do that with your own mind and with your own family and with the children that you work with. Um, It's all the rage. RPM is all the rage lately. All of a sudden, everybody's doing it. And it's fascinating to me. It stands for Rapid Prompt Method. It's fascinating to me because I began doing facilitation, which is a very similar thing. Um, And you're going to hear all about this. Back in the late 80s, so it's not a new idea, but it's being presented differently and, and received differently. So it's really beautiful time. Another thing to know is it's not always that somebody presents low functioning and, and nonverbal and incapable where we lower the bar. Sometimes the bar is split. Sometimes what comes out of a person's mouth when they have a communication challenge is different than what they would say type or express in writing and different again from what they might express in gestures. So one has to imagine that a communication challenged person has to use all of the bits and pieces of possibility to try to get many messages across, whereas we can do that with language. And we do it with our body too. Um, so. Body language is 80% of your communication. And here we are uh, being fooled because the people coming up to us who are very special needs or are very challenged with communication, their body language isn't in line with what they're trying to say. So here's some moms that are going to tell you their stories. I don't know if it will follow the line I just brought up or if it will completely challenge it, but it will be their true stories, and I want you to give it a listen, and I'm really excited to have them on. We're going to have Stephanie, Susie, and Angie on, and I'm going to say, how about Susie? Unmute your phone, and let's hear your story, and welcome to the show. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm um, excited. Me too. Um, So, yeah, my name is Susie, and I have a daughter who is 11 years old. We started doing RPM um, in May of 2014. Uh, We were fortunate enough to be able to go out to Austin to see 
Soma, who is the woman who basically created RPM and um, she's kind of the mastermind behind RPM. So we were able to go out and see her for a week-long camp in May, and that was essentially what started our journey into the RPM world. Um, and since then, like, I honestly can say it's been life-changing um, for not only for my daughter, but also for our entire family and for, you know, many, many people who, you know, we live with in our community here in, in the Atlanta area, and it's just been so remarkable. Um, so my give daughter us a picture, is, yeah, give us a picture of yeah. your daughter, how she was before and why you went to our, sort of like how she was before, why, why you went to RPM, like what made you do that and what the changes are. Sure. Um, so she is, uh, she has some expressive speech. I mean, she uh, can communicate like what she wants to eat and things like that and like her basic needs and wants. So over the years, she always kind of flew under the radar for various things. Like we had an AAC eval done on her several years ago, and that team of people essentially told us that, you know, she didn't need some sort of alternative form of communication because she could communicate her basic needs and wants, which I found incredibly frustrating because I have another daughter, and I was like, well, my other daughter can communicate so much more. And as a parent, you want to hear, you know, kind of your children's deeper thoughts and also, in an, from an educational perspective, my daughter was continually, you know, like you said, it was always the lowest common denominator because she couldn't, you know, express herself consistently in a classroom setting. And because her motor planning was so challenged and so involved, she also often wasn't able to consistently demonstrate what she really knew. And that, you know, led to you know, her being taught the same thing over and over and over and, you know, just a lot of frustration, um, you know, in that realm. So, and I always, you know, again, I'm her mom, but I always believed that, you know, that everything was going in and that there was a lot more in there than what was coming out. And so I always felt like if we could just find that tool that would help her be able to get those things out, then we would be, you know, so much better off. And that would be kind of the answer for us. Um, so RPM has definitely been that answer and I will be the first person to tell you it is a ton of work. It takes a lot of energy and effort and commitment, but it, um, you know, it does absolutely, you know, work. Um, it has, you know, finally allowed our daughter to feel like she is a valuable part of the world. Um, she went from last year at school doing her math goals were numbers one through ten. Um, she advocated for herself to be pulled out of that school, which we we did. Um, and then I started to homeschool her. She, you know, started to be able to demonstrate using this tool that she actually had a lot more knowledge about a variety of different things than what she was able to demonstrate before. So it's helped us enormously, you know, in kind of help in, you know, prepping her for her education um, and then also, you know, being able to hear, like, what are her hopes and dreams for herself, you know, what kind of plans does she have, what goals does she want to set for herself, how are we going to go about reaching those goals, um, and even just, like, our regular, you know, sitting at the dinner table and, you know, she's at the point now where she can actually sit and have, you know, an open 
conversation with our family about, you know, whatever. Um, that obviously has taken a lot of work for us to get there. That was not, you know, something we could do on day one for sure. But, um, but well, she is I mean, life now. is work, and teaching your children and raising your children is work, and, and you're going to be working no matter what. Better to be working at something that's effective. Tell us, right. because I have to switch to the next mom, and then we'll come back to you mm-hmm. again. Tell us the most touching moment. Oh, my God, the most touching moment. There's been too many. Oh, that's so hard. Um, I really, I don't know. I think, well, probably the first time that my two daughters were able to have a real conversation with each other. That was definitely one of the highlights in the last year and a half. That was pretty unbelievable, and it's something we've been hoping for for, you know, the last, 10 years, basically, since our other daughter was born, and, you know, it finally happened. So that was incredible. Do you remember what she said? Oh, um, yes, they talked about, they commiserated together about my husband. and. Oh, how awesome they got to complain about a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? I mean, imagine, see, this is the stuff. Imagine somebody who is having to keep all that inside has no way to express it, does have a, a way to connect with a sibling, and can't do it. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, really I mean, that was amazing. So that's, that's there's really been cool. many more conversations since then. <laughs> Very <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. Mute your phone, Susie. We'll come back to okay. you. Stephanie, you. unmute your phone. This is fun. Okay, Stephanie, hi, Sadie. Thank you so much for being here. Same drill, you know, give us a sense of your family and the story. But while you're doing that, can you try and describe what RPM is to people? Because uh, they probably, if they don't know, then they're going to get lost in this. Sure. Well, um, I have two children. Uh, my son, Ryan, um, who's affected by autism, he is um, eight and a half years old. He'll be nine in October. And then I have a um, daughter named Grace, who's um, six years old. And our uh, rapid prompt method or RPM journey started in January of 2014. So we've been at this for 20 months now uh, when Ryan was seven years old. And um, uh, let me tell you a little bit about how this came about or how we got, um, went the direction of RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen Soma speak at a conference um, several years ago when my son was, four years old, and I thought, wow, this is very interesting, but my son will be talking by then, so we won't need this. And um, and then probably a year later, I saw there was a document documentary that came out. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called A Mother's Courage, and um, I believe Kate Winslet is the um, narrator of it, and it is about an Icelandic boy um, who's autistic, whose family brings them to the United States. Um, they go through a bunch of things you know, regarding autism and um, the background and history. And then the second half of the movie is this boy sees Soma and, you know, how um, things are looked at differently and, um, you know, and how autism may not be what it it was uh, perceived to be by this family. And um, so I was intrigued by that, but then I still thought, mm, my son is young, so, you know, interesting. And um, the years went by and, um, it, you know, he was, seven years old and we were in a waiting room um, with um, several other families for, you know, one of those um, uh, crazy autism treatments that probably all of us parents have tried. And um, I met a family and spoke to the mom and she had mentioned to me that her son had told her that he had had headaches as a result of this 
treatment. And I looked at her and I was like, he told you he has headaches? And I didn't know which boy in the waiting room was her son. And um, she told me which one. And this was a boy who was um, actually biting on a book who I thought presented extremely severe. And um, she brought him over and he began to spell with a letter board. And if I could tell you that I could not stop sobbing because I thought I, I know. totally underestimated him. Um, I thought, we have to do this for my son because my son, uh, Ryan, has, is one of those kids who's had speech twice but lost it. Um, he's no longer able to, to speak. So he's, he only had single words. He was never conversational. Um, he could get his needs and wants across by uh, leading you, bringing you items. He had, you know, the picture exchange communication system, the PEC. He had an extensive book of, of pictures, you know, with his needs and wants. And um, we always thought he was smart because, you know, he was the kid who would be into something that he wasn't supposed to be in, let's say, you know, smearing soap in the bathroom. And he would look back to see which adult was, you know, watching to see <laughs> if he was going to get in trouble. So we knew he was at least in tune with us. Um, anyway, I, I connected with some parents locally. I was in the Bay Area um, in California at the time and found out that they were bringing in a provider for a workshop, and that was January 2014. Um, Again, my son was seven, so he was very young. We did not know what he knew. He um, was being taught, he was matching colors in school. He wasn't even necessarily being taught colors. He, um, I don't even think that they really started any alphabet, um, numbers, anything like that. Um, and um, we watched this practitioner who, um, I guess here's where I can give you a little bit of background about RPM. It is an educational method where communication is a byproduct. So you focus on academics at first. So this woman, Erica Anderson, who is um, one of Soma's protégés, um, and she studied under Soma for three years, um, she worked with Ryan on academics. They did phonics. They did um, a lesson on gemstones. They did, um, uh, you know, just different things that I had never thought, you know, Ryan could do or that, you know, no one had ever tried with him because he was basically doing, you know, ABA, very rote drills or, um more functional things, matching, sorting, things like that. Um, and so I saw it, and he started with paper choices. So this is a kid who literally they wrote down on paper, you know, um, the sun is the, the largest uh, star in the sky. Um, you know, what did I say? The sun is the largest what? Uh, um, ocean or star? And he would take the pencil and he would mark star. And I was like, okay, he's getting it. And what I found was this kid is teachable. He could learn. Um, I knew at a young age that I thought, I don't know if, if he even knows how to spell. I, I can't, you know, so I need to set a foundation. And so for the next 20 months, we've been setting a foundation where we've been doing academic lessons. And um, I've been a part of some Facebook groups and um, the HALO website, which is um, SOMA's website, where there's a, um, a group there. And you see the posts from other parents in this open communication. I thought, one day we'll get there, but I'm not in a rush. He's so young, I'm going to plant the foundation. So we continue with academics. We learned about phonics. We learned about math. We learned science, history, current events. I would use it to create social stories for him. So anytime we were going somewhere, we would talk exactly what was going to happen, and he would answer with me with the paper choices. Um, we eventually moved to stencils, and then um, we moved, and now he's on a flat laminated board and can communicate his thoughts, but it was not overnight. It's, it is not a miracle. Right. Right. And, again, right. the foundation is the academics and um, the communication you know, is a byproduct of that. Right. Okay. Most touching moment. 
um, we have a family situation with my father, um, and uh, Ryan has never met my father before. And after um, a specific instance um, where he got to see um, some information, you know, regarding my dad's situation, um, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to ask my grandmother or his grandmother anything about it. And he, his question to my grandmother or to his grandmother was, um, will my grandpa Bob accept me? And I guess to me, I had no idea that he was so um, concerned about other people's opinions of him and that, you know, that since, um, his, yeah, without going into yeah. the whole situation, he hasn't seen his grandpa since he was four months old. So um, it, for him to be so concerned about what, you know, his grandpa thought of him, I think right. that was probably the most touching thing that I thought there's just so much more. And this was even several months, like right when he first started openly communicating, and I thought, you know, wow, there, there's a lot of lot going on with Ryan. Yeah, it indicates an awareness of others who maybe don't. So it yeah. gives you this huge, enormous wash of feelings and and realizations. That's that's very important. Okay, honey, um, go ahead and mute your phone. And Angie, just wait in the wings for a second. I have to do the mid break. You are listening to a new spin on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. We're talking to three wonderful moms who are dealing with RPM, which stands for Rapid Prompt Method. It is very similar to uh, facilitated communication. We're going to talk with the next mom and see if she can help us tease out the difference. Um, Just to help you, I want to address a couple of things that came out so you can get a picture of this. And that is that when they say a letter board, you know, if you have a child who's working with, say, PEC system and they're pulling pictures to you and giving you simple stuff, this is a much higher end awareness of the child. It says you are actually going to be able to spell and point to things and spell out whole thoughts and whole ideas. And it starts with academics, as does facilitation, primarily because it proves learning, but it also is something where we know the answers. So we don't complicate it by having this sort of open question that is super hard for someone to pull an answer to and we don't know where they're headed. If the answer is star, S-T-A-R, and the child goes to point to an S, it's a lot easier to help them to be successful. And then you can move through um, the next step and the next step and the next step. And the beauty of that is you educate while you get the the spelling communication. And so by the time you're at the open-ended communication, the child is super confident. We'll talk a little bit about Carly Fleischman at the end in Stories from the Road. But right now I want to get to our third mom and then our free-for-all. So Angie, unmute your phone. I I sound like a a game show host. Angie, unmute your phone. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, so let's same basic thing. People want to know kind of a little bit of your story, but if you do, you know what uh, facilitated communication is. I know a little bit about it, but I wouldn't say that I'm uh, super knowledgeable. Okay. All right. So I'll tease out the difference for them. So let's just tell your story and uh, and get a picture of RPM and your child, and then we'll all talk together. Um. So my. My name is Angie. My son is 14, and we started RPM in October of 2014, so we're coming up just on our one-year anniversary. Um, And uh, like the others, my son is, I would say he's actually fairly verbal in that he speaks in sentences. 
He can get all of his basic needs met. He can talk about past experiences. He can comment on things. Um, he has some articulation issues, but most people understand him, and he's always talking, like kind of nonstop. But what led you? Did the, you want to do RPM then? Yeah, So, but that's kind of the extent, I would say, of his communication. He can't really go beyond that, and he's not able to have conversation unless it's it's about an interest of his, and then he can have kind of a modified conversation, I would say. So I actually learned about RPM many years ago when maybe he was like Stephanie someday um, and didn't think it was for him simply because of that, because he was verbal and because he's always been on an academic track, even though his academics were way below what he's capable of. Um, I didn't think that he needed it because I saw it more as an augmentative communication device. And I also thought erroneously that because he was verbal and kind of more on an academic track in the school system, um, that maybe he wasn't capable of what these other kids were doing. I knew he was taking more in than he could demonstrate, but I didn't believe that he was highly intelligent. Um, so I would see, you know, other kids using it um, and not using it fully, but I had some awareness of it. And I had read some of Tito Soma's son's book. And I thought, wow, you know, Tito's presents very differently than my child. So I thought, well, you know, kids that can do that, what Tito's doing, they're savants. And my kid's not a savant. My kid's got a totally different kind of disability. So I just discounted it. But then as he got older, like I said, he's 14 now, I really felt that he just didn't have a way to advance academically. He could read some, you know, he could do, he could do some math, um, but he can't write and he couldn't type. And so there was just this block where he couldn't really go beyond, and he really wasn't able to advance in his language skills. So I started hearing from a lot of parents about how great RPM was, and I started re-looking at it. And then I found some kids online who were talkers and kids using the board to communicate, and what they were communicating completely floored me. Um, I don't think I had ever really seen so many kids being successful with it. And so I thought, well, we should give it a try because maybe this letter board will be the will be like a way for him to type because he doesn't have the fine motor skills to type. And that way he can, you know, he can show if he can spell a word or not. You know, he can he can go beyond addition and subtraction and, and using manipulatives for multiplication, things like that. If we have a tool that he can just touch, you know. So that's kind of what interested me in it. Um, so like I said, we've been at it for almost a year. And it's been completely life-changing. I mean, he's gone. He's now doing algebra and math. He, I'm taking him over to a friend's house who's a chemist, and she does RPM with her son, and we're doing some lesson swaps. And she just told me yesterday they're doing honors chemistry from a high school here, a local high school curriculum, and that he actually knows a lot of chemistry. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know? Um, so he's doing high school-level work. Um, he writes amazing poetry. Um, he's, you know, he's gone way above what I ever thought was possible. And it's given him a voice to be able to express 
what he wants in his life. And he's always been a kid who's very volatile, very emotional, very explosive. And a lot of that has, has gone down now that he has a way to communicate um, and share with other people what his experience is and how he's feeling. And he has told me on many times, as says so many of the kids, that autism is a life in prison. And he now feels like with RPM, his life is limitless, and he's been let out of prison. So, oh, you know, it's pretty awesome. profound. That's very profound. I mean, it, it's, it is really, really huge. Imagine how many times have you, you just wanted somebody to listen to you over your yeah. lifetime and just screamed at them. Come on, we're all human, right? So um, imagine if all you can do is make sound or make unintelligible, unintelligible verbalizations or scripts or, you know, and you're trying to give a real thing, of course we'd have outbursts. Well, and I wanted to kind of piggyback on something you said in the intro about, about body language being 80% is communication, and if your words don't reflect your mind. And I would say that's what, one of the biggest surprising things we found for my son is that much of his language or his speech, not his language, but the verbal speech that he has is meaningless, is, does not reflect at all what he wants or even what he's thinking about, and he has zero control over what's coming out of his mouth, even though it sounds like he would want it. And I'll give you a really concrete example. At Easter time, he was asking me constantly for a truck to go in his Easter basket because he always seems to like trucks, so we've always put a truck in his Easter basket. And so come around Easter, he's like, oh, the Easter bunny is going to bring me a truck, and can I have one? And we'd be at Target, and he's pulling trucks off the shelves and saying, this one, can I have this one in my Easter basket? And so I devised a lesson for RPM around about the history of Easter that kind of culminated in what's called creative writing, which is kind of your opportunity for more of a a big open-ended question to get at the child's thoughts, feelings, experiences. Um, And I said, all right, on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, what do you, when you wake up, what do you hope to find in your Easter basket, basket? And he said, the first thing he said was, I do not want a truck. So I was like, what? He's like, yes, don't get me a truck. And I said, Liam, I just don't understand. Like everything about you, your facial expression, your giddy, your pulling trucks off shelves, hopefully you really want a truck. And he said, I'm not like you. Different thoughts in my mind. Please only listen to my spelling. So that's been really hard because he talks nonstop all day long, and most of it completely defies who he really is on the inside. And it's hard to ignore a kid who's constantly yapping at you, you know, talking, talking, talking about what they want when they don't really even want it and looking oh. like they want it. Right, anyway. exactly. So let's do, so let's do a little neuroscience here. So there's three things I'm going to hit on really quickly. We, I could talk about it for, like, lectures full, but let's go with um, if you have – so you have little parts of your brain, like, for example, a noun or a phrase can be isolated into a spot in the brain, and I could take a really, really thin, 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 thin electrode and stick it in your brain, which, of course, we would never do, um, but they used to do stuff like this, so – and I could touch that, and it would force you to speak certain things or sing certain songs or repeat certain phrases. So just imagine if you have this cycle of firing happening that's just making you blurt out things that aren't in compliance with what your frontal lobes are thinking about. So, so there's lots of really good reason for that. And then there's also the give-ups. If a child is really trying to say something to you but their mouth won't do what they want it to do, then they'll go to 
the thing that they know you'll hear. So, for example, my son can say music really well, and so he will go, oh, never mind, she's not understanding this new thought, so I'll just ask for music, because at least I'll get this over with, right? So there's the give-ups. And one final thing on the neuroscience, there's um, we assume that, and this is really true of autism, we assume that they are going to present in a way that is unnatural. The truth is, if, if a person is nervous, they might look nervous, but they also might smile and laugh. They might look overly confident. They might, we have a variety of presentations of nervous. I'm just using nervous as an example. And we have a, a way of you know, watching that in a regular neurotypical person and still being fooled. So why do we believe that an autistic person is going to step forward to us and now present, oh, they want the nervous face, oh, they want the still and happy face, <laughs> they want the sad face. They want, we, nobody does it that way. We're much more complex. So if your brain is misfiring, you're going to be highly complex in this regard. I love that you brought that up. I think it's time for a free-for-all, but first tell us most touching moment. Well, there have been a lot of touching moments, and I would say his poetry has been some of the most touching moments, but I don't have any with me right now to share with you. But I would say a couple of times, really pretty early on in our RPM experience, um, I asked him, you know, what, what do you want to do today for your lesson? I gave him choices. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And he said, today I want to write family letters. And I said, okay, well, you know, um, tell me someone that you want to write a letter to. And he said, my someone is you. And then he proceeded to write me a letter thanking me for never giving up on him, that I'm the most dedicated person in his life, and that he now has someone that's listening to him and that he's grateful. And it just, like, pretty much reduced me to tears. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All you moms, come on. I just want to – I've heard echoed a few times from you. Um, that, you know, statements like, you know, you're just a mom or whatever. And I'd have to say that it's the parents will see that special spark of intelligence and they'll take it to the expert and say, but look, he can do this or look, he can do that. And the experts often, and I'm an expert, so I don't want to include myself in this, but it's often then reduced to, again, the lowest common denominator. It's rationalized away because you don't want, they don't want to see that exceptional moment. They only want to look at the basic presentation. So I just want to give you guys a pat on the back for being the parents that looked for the exceptional moment. It's like in a study when they erase the outliers, and I think all of the miracles and evidence are in the outliers. So um, good for you for not giving up, for staying with it, for seeing the potential and, and following a path that got you there. So thank you for being part of the show. Let's talk a little bit. I'm going to throw a question out there to you guys and anyone. Do it like volleyball where you say mine, (laughs) okay? Um, So here's a question. Facilitated communication, which is supported typing, uh, began in the 70s. It began uh, because of a cerebral palsy girl, actually, but it actually was sort of multiply discovered in various places. Uh, so in the, from the 70s to the 80s, it sort of got a foothold in different places, and in the 80s it moved over into autism, and then died out for a variety of ridiculous, controversial reasons. So how do you feel knowing that 
it's been around that long, and it took Soma's presentation of it to uh, bring it to you. Does that bother you? Do you sit around going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we could have been doing this all along? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'll take that, I guess. Um, Just claim it, name it. Who are you? It's mine. All right, Angie, do you hear me? Okay. Okay. Um, you know, my son's the oldest of the group here. Um and I would say, gosh, you know, I really wish back when I first heard about RPM that I had run with it. He would have been seven. It would have been seven years to change his life. Um, but, you know, I think as parents we do the best that we can, and we do what we're ready for and um, what, we, what we understand. And so I haven't really, like, kicked myself about it. Um, I wish I had started it early. I would encourage other parents to try it, to get with a professional, to do it. Um, it's the best thing we've ever done, but I can't really look back. And in some regard, starting later in life for my son, um, we have had a really um, pretty quick um, escalation to him being able to um, do RPM very fluently. And so we spent a lot of his younger years on motor skills, and that really, really helped paved the way. So, you know, who knows yeah, what together, it would have been right? like if we had started when he was seven. You know, we may right. have had a slower uptake because he needed that time to build his motor skills to be able to be fluent at it. Um, I think I worry more about changing our culture and um, creating meaningful, real opportunity and people really starting to understand and define autism differently. I think that's the big thing on my mind and the thing that gets me really angry. Yeah, me <laughs> too. Actually, that's, that's really the big thing that. on my mind. So let's get another mom to, to pick up yeah, where you I left have, off. Go ahead. This is Susie. I have something to say to that as well. Um, I have the second oldest child in this conversation, <laughs> and for me, I really truly believe like things happen at the time when you're ready for it. So, you know, we've done a lot of things for her over the years. We've traveled all over the country to seek out different types of services for her. And, you know, I, I reflect on it, and I think maybe I just, you know, we weren't ready uh, at any, you know, in the past, or we weren't in the right place, or she wasn't in the right place. Um, I agree with Angie that I absolutely would encourage other parents to at least inform themselves, learn about it, look into it, consider it. Um, for myself, I think the biggest problem I have in my reflection now is that there were so many people out there and still out there who do not presume competence in our kids. And um, I'm an educator myself, and I just, that is for me like kind of the underlying thing that I would encourage all parents and educators and professionals to start really reflecting on and thinking about, are you truly, truly presuming competence in these kids or not? Um, and, you know, my daughter will be the first one to tell you that she feels that in her own life story that there were so many people who had good hearts and good intentions but never really presumed competence. Right, right. Okay. Lynette, can I chime in? This is yes, you absolutely can. And, uh, and actually, after you chime in, see if you can speak to teasing out the good therapies. Yes. This is the mom challenge. So how do you pick your therapies? So go ahead and chime in and then go there, and then we're okay. out of time. Okay. I just wanted to um, piggyback on what Susie said. I think that that is key. And one of my kind of life missions now is that 
anyone, you know, any five-year-old could walk into a kindergarten classroom and we presume competence. But when you have an autistic child, it's already assumed that they don't understand, they don't know. A, a right. five-year-old kindergartner doesn't have to prove what they know, but an autistic child does have to, or at least in therapist's mind. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is um, I think it's really important to note the difference between facilitated communication and rapid prompt method because there is a huge difference. Um, although the methods do um, rely on somebody else um, being a communication partner, um, rapid prompt method, we do not touch the child. Um, there are, it's called rapid prompt method, but there, and there are prompts for the child, but they are verbal prompts or air prompts. So there's no touching their arm, no touching their hand, their back, anything. Um, they, this is all the child on their own. And the eventual goal with RPM is to get the child in, you know, doing this individually, where the, whether they type on a keyboard, whether they hold their own letter board, whether they use some kind of augmentative device where there's word prediction. Those are the goals. Whereas, um, and I think that's where um, facilitated communication may have gotten a bad rap is where there, you know, there is physical prompting um, involved with the child. And then there's the, you know, who's really doing the communication. Whereas all of us as parents know that that's like, very likely the child communicating to the outside observer, if there's any kind of touching or um, coaching, right. then it, right. it would be, um, you know, the perception is difficult. So I know we're almost out of time, but I just want to at least make sure that... No, I love that because I was I had that on the list of, you know, make sure to isolate the difference. So now you saved me from having to do it. <laughs> that was great. Um, ladies, thank you so much. One last bit of advice for people. You're, you're now getting an opportunity to say whatever you think is important to say that will move uh, moms and educators to a place of uh, inspiration, motivation, greater comfort, whatever you want to share. This is your moment. Um, One at a time. Let's start with Angie. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) One of the things that I want people to understand is that if if you decide to try RPM or do RPM, you don't have to stop doing other things. This is not an, an exclusive therapy, we have to do this for 40 hours a week, you have to do it exact. there are rules to RPM and there, are, there is a method that's important to follow to be successful, but it is, a, it is a way for your child to learn and to express what they have learned and to have opportunity for, communi- for greater communication through that. So you, if you're in love with your ABA program or your floor time program or your sunrise program or whatnot, your neuro reorg program, whatever, you can keep doing it. Um, our PAM is something that we started with Liam doing 20 minutes a day. That's it. That's all he could really tolerate. Even though he's, he's fluent, it's exhausting for him. So it's not an all day. I'm not following him around with the letter board and all of his communication is on the letter board. If you love protocol to go or PECs or whatever to get your basic needs met, you don't have to stop doing that. I think it's important for people to understand that. And that was Stephanie, right? That was Angie. Okay, Angie, thank you. Um, Stephanie? Sure. Um, I guess if I could go back in time, if there's one thing I would tell any newly um, or parents of newly diagnosed children is read to your children. Read, read, read. Just read to them all day long. <laughs> if, even if they don't, they don't appear to be listening or interested, you know, read to your children. Expose them to as many experiences as possible. Treat them like even if it's hard and we have meltdowns and different behaviors and so forth, but do everything you can to give them as normal a life as possible because more than likely on the inside, they're as normal as the rest of us. They just outwardly can't reflect that. So um, 
and like Angie said, you don't have to give up on the other therapies. We did 10 minutes a day because my son wouldn't sit. I still sometimes carry him to the uh, the table because his body doesn't cooperate. Even if he does love learning, he can't seem to control his body. So, um, And also persevere. Don't give up. It takes time. It is not a miracle cure. It took us a really long time, but it is so worth the ride. Right. And it's not even a cure. It's just another way of helping them to communicate and become bigger and more able, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Angie? We heard, oh, you mean sorry, Susie? Oh, Susie. Sorry. Yeah. We did Angie. We did Stephanie Susie. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, I guess my advice would be that um, if you are going to pursue some type of, you know, outside therapy for your child, I absolutely would encourage people to find therapists who respect the child, who presume competence, um, and for the parents to really believe in themselves, um, I think as a parent, you really are the expert on your child. And I think a lot of times we don't listen to our guts enough. Um, and we think, oh, but that therapist told us X and Y, so they must be right and I must be wrong. And I think it's important to listen to the team that you're working with, but I also think it's like so important to listen to yourself and to really follow through with you know, or, or just reflect more on what your gut instinct is and what you're feeling. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I can't say don't yeah. do this or, or do this. I, you know, absolutely, I think RPM has been an amazing tool for our daughter, um, given what her challenges are. And, I, you know, I think it has also been that for many, many others. So, I, you know, if your kids present similar to, the, to our children, then I think it's definitely something worth considering. And yes, trust yourself. You're the one that's 24-7 and, and knows your child in ways that others don't. And yeah. really, you're the one that's going to be there for the, you know, a lifelong friend. So yeah, it's very different. I appreciate you women so much. Thank you for being a part of our show. Um, just, you know, kudos to you. Keep, keep doing what you're doing and, and just thank you for being willing to share. Thank you for having thank us. You. Yeah, right. thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, that was three moms. i got to tell you, that was put together by a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine, mom friend of mine. I didn't get her permission to say her name, so I won't say it. But thank you for doing that for me. Um, you're connected to all these lovely ladies because you do RPM, and I appreciate you doing that. Okay, I want to just finish up and then do stories from the road. So one of the things I want to point out on the difference between – actually, let's just make that a story from the road. So it is time for – Stories from the road. I've worked with uh, adapted versions of every kind of this, whether we call it facilitated communication or RPM. I have not trained with SOMA. So what I can say from my experience is that the difference between the two has a lot to do with how it's perceived, as our mom was mentioning. Facilitated communication is a supported communication that's supported typing, and if a person's body mannerisms are such that they have to have supported typing, then there's many ways to work with that, and it's very prevalent with cerebral palsy. When it moved over to autism, because autism has always been seen as this mystery disorder with all these different belief systems, what happened was people started to make up stories about it, and it turned into this huge, you know, Ouija board phenomenon idea, and so it got it got disappeared into the 
um, by the media, actually. The media came and they said, oh, you know, it's a witch hunt and, and everybody was saying, you know, sexual abuse here and sexual, and it was just kind of ugly to take something so beautiful that was enabling kids to communicate and make it suspect simply because it didn't look like it should as far as the onlookers go. So I see the true value in beginning in an independent way. Um, They're still going to say Ouija board because when you hold the letter board, so I want you to imagine the RPM method, they're holding, say, a pointer or a pencil or something, and then the, the child is, the communicator is, and then the assister the person assisting them is holding a letter board that it has, is like a stencil. And so they can point to these letters. And, and uh, if you're watching it, you'll see that the hand of the person holding the letter board appears to move into position sometimes to assist the other one. And it might be subconscious. It doesn't matter. So what happens is other people see this. They point this stuff out. They say it's not real. They focus on all of that, and this is what happens in autism, period. People focus on the mannerisms or the presentation of something and refuse to see the evidence. So they focus on that. They say it's not real and and that it's really an Ouija board kind of phenomenon. And so I want to tell you about Carly Fleischman. This isn't some my story from the road. It's my story from using Carly Fleischman as an example to people. Um, so she was a, she's Canadian like myself, and she was a special girl, very, very special, very challenged, very, you know, having tantrums, being sick, everybody thinking she couldn't do anything. And then she won, and she used a, a, a form of facilitated communication, or at least they were trying to teach it. And this one day she was sick, and she was behind the couch, and she was flailing about, and she ran over to her, her keyboard, and she typed sick, and then she threw up. So all of a sudden they knew there was a, an ability in her. And why this is interesting is because you can look it up and you can watch about her. And she's had this sort of arc. And she's even had this attack that's happened. But if you watch with the right eyes, what you'll see is the before able to communicate girl was very challenged. As she became able to communicate through facilitation, she became more confident looking, more a part of her family, more smiley. Now, it took forever for her to independently answer something. Like most people would say, oh, it's not real and walk away because it would take her so long. So what I'm trying to share with you is when you're looking for therapies, when you're deciding if something's real, don't be tricked by the body language, the presentation, the the look of somebody else being too assistive. Watch the evolution of the human being. And the sad part of Carly Fleischman is because they kept looking for something, they were looking for something for her OCD, they did a particular therapy that actually took her skills away insofar as typing is concerned. And I haven't looked her up recently. Don't know if she's got that back. Maybe you can do that. And I'm sure that that's uh, negatively impacted how she's feeling and then how, how she looks in, in so far as working within the family and being part of things. This is a beautiful story and one where you can inform yourself. So go ahead and look up Carly Fleischman. Watch her story. It's on the news. There's lots of clips. There's YouTube. And then you'll see, oh, what I should be watching for, no matter what therapy we're doing, is not what the experts say, is not what the presentation of each individual stim says, 
but it's the overall comfort of my child. And if you do that, it will be a lot easier for you to be the mom that you want to be or the teacher that you want to be and choose the therapy that really advantages your child. So the question is, is it real? And the answer is, watch them evolve. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. You've been listening to a new spin on autism, Answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.